and welcome to Drawing a Dialogue. My name is Kathy G. Johnson. And I'm Remus Jackson. We are cartoonists, scholars, and educators. On Drawing a Dialogue, we put comics into historical, theoretical, and educational contexts. I work with K-12 students in schools in addition to alternative educational settings. I have three graphic novels out. In addition to self-published works, I have a master's degree in art education. And I'm a PhD candidate in the University of Florida's English program. Um, I also have a master's in English from UF. My research focuses on trans embodiment and experience in comics and zines and museum studies. And I also make mostly self-published comics. Awesome. You know, something I've never pointed out is how difficult our intro is to say. <laughs> yeah. Cartoonists, scholars, and educators. I'm just <laughs> spitting into that microphone. Um, but, I, but I've never said it. Contexts. It's because I didn't want to, you know, I didn't want to break the flow. But mm-hmm. There is hey, a Remus. lot of plosives. Hi. Um, we took the holidays off mm-hmm. and we're back. Um, and today we are working on episode 48, um, which I have titled The Teacher Shortage, mm-hmm. um, which I actually kind of wanted to title it The Teacher Attrition. Mm-hmm. But I felt like that wasn't very attra- uh, an attractive word to use because I, <laughs> per- e- even me personally, am barely comfortable with my own understanding of what attrition is. Right. Um, so I called it the teacher shortage, but really we're talking about attrition, um, which is teacher attrition is the rate in which the percentage of teachers exiting the educational profession in a given school year. So basically mm-hmm. it's people, it's teachers exiting education altogether right um but so we titled it we're going with the teacher shortage and it's because it's kind of a buzzword right now i don't know has have you noticed it kind of come up for you remus has have you seen it or am i just in very teachery circles no i've definitely um seen it come up although i don't know if i'm also in very teachery circles but um even when I was still uh, actively like employed at the University of Florida, uh, I it, sort of like around the start of COVID, I remember that being a thing that was coming up. Is like especially is like particularly. I'm sure you're going to talk about this, but like particularly the role of COVID in um, the shortage. Yeah, it 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 was a. I think it was COVID sort of brought a lot of conversations out, um, and so I made sure as I this is a episode if the listeners haven't figured it out this is an episode that i kathy am going to kind of helm Mm -hmm. um and i tried to make sure that my research was pre uh was post-covid but there's gonna be plenty of research that was pre-covid but i was kind of picky about uh picky about like the what i'm using to make sure that it actually feels like it would still be applicable um to 2023 audiences um and our lives as we move forward um so okay so you have heard of it and i'm I'm thinking maybe our listeners have heard of it at least in some capacity Mm -hmm. um so what i wanted to talk about is what is the shortage shortage uh where is it happening and the big one why is it happening that's kind of Mm -hmm. what we're mostly going to be focusing on is the why um and introducing this uh topic i just want to say 
that uh, people who have listened to us know that I'm all about the students. I'm really focused on the student-centered approach in education and student-centered in the classroom. Mm-hmm. Um, but for this particular conversation, I think I want to try to steer away from student-centered uh, focus, um, at least for today. Um, I think it's valuable to remember that teaching is a job mm-hmm. and that teachers are workers um, and that teachers have rights and deserve dignity um, like everyone else and uh, frankly deserve good lives like yeah. uh, everyone deserves to live a good life mm-hmm. um, and it's easy for a discussion about education to make the teaching profession out to be kind of a charitable act that teachers should be sacrificing themselves um, but jobs aren't charity and your daily life can't feel like it's a sacrifice um, because that leads to so many problems if you yeah. feel like you're sacrificing yourself every day Um And it can feel uncomfortable for me to say this, but we need to remember that it's not teachers versus students in any of these conversations. Mm -hmm. It should not be one or the other. A school is made up of a team of people, including administrators and school staff as well, such as maintenance workers and food service workers. And we need to remember that we're all in education together. Um, and also, mm-hmm. like, I think it's easy for, for us to think student-centered approach. The student-centered approach is talking about, like, when you're in a classroom, right. you should focus on your students. Um, however, that doesn't mean that all conversations about education have to only be about students. Yeah, and I think um, one of the things I note, I remember from, uh, you know, just passively seeing conversations about the teacher shortage on like my twitter feed and things like that is that a lot of what i saw was people being like how is this affecting the students yeah. and people having to kind of like people i know who you know are working with unions and um labor rights having to sort of push back and be like the teachers are people also <laughs> like yeah yeah and it's, it's not kind of- just the students being hurt yeah and 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 i think and i think that that's the habit of um, these sort of these like professions. I also think of mm-hmm. medical professions as well, yeah. where you have a more vulnerable group that you're working with. Mm-hmm. So therefore, your rights don't become part of a big issue in the conversation. Right. Um, and it's just not fair. <laughs> well, and and I, Go ahead. Oh. I was just going to say, it's also just not conducive to, ha- like, those professions actually being viable for the more, you know, marginalized group being helped by that. Because, like, or, or because, like, um, a more vulnerable group, because, like, it, if, if you're all, if there's not enough teachers and the remaining teachers are all, you know, burnt out, unable to afford health care, unable to live... Th- there's not a lot of teaching that's going to be happening. <laughs> like it doesn't, yeah. you know, like you have to sort of, it's, it's that uh, old like adage of, you know, put on your mask or put on your, what is it in the airline when you're supposed to put on your oxygen mask before helping other people. It's like, you have to meet the needs of the people doing the important job so that the important job can actually happen. Yeah. I recently, I recently asked for a raise and I was talking with my therapist about how to ask for a raise. Yeah. And, um, she was like, well, you need to make sure that your be- basic needs are comfortably met so you can bring your best self yeah. to work. And I was like, thank you. And then I used that <laughs> phrase. <laughs> um, but that's like exactly what we we're going to be talking about is like, why is the shortage happening? 
Yeah. Um, and I don't actually talk a ton about teacher unions because I'm not necessarily talking about workers' rights. Sure, um, sure. But everything is connected. And honestly, I sort of expect me to kind of weave back and forth in this episode, sort of in the way that the tor- teacher shortage is happening, while also I'm going to be describing context because context is really key. And, you know, who is straightforward in scholarship because nothing is actually straightforward so um let's talk about the teacher shortage um so uh is there actually teacher shortage frankly Mm -hmm. or are we just talking about it more like is it new um and so for this section i'm going to be quoting two articles um one from usa today and one from education week um, mm-hmm. So the USA Art Today article is titled Overworked, Underpaid, The Toll of Burnout is Contributing to Teacher Shortages Nationwide. And that was by Aliyah Wong from December 21st, 2022. Mm-hmm. And I just want to note, sidebar, uh, whenever I choose something like USA Today or something, I always kind of look up who the author is yeah. <laughs> to make sure that they don't... I don't know frankly like racist or something right no her totally other, her other articles i was like okay she's cool um so um here's a quote from that article um the national center for education statistics nces ha- has been regularly surveying a nationally representative staple sample of schools about various topics included staff vacancies in the covid19 era According to its latest survey from October, this would be October 2022, right. uh, nearly half, for 45% of public schools have at least one vacant teacher position, about the same rate as the survey that was done in January. This would be January 2022. Mm-hmm. Generally speaking, 4% of teaching positions across the nation remain vacant, the October s- survey shows. But zooming in by subject area reveals significant variation. Special education... and continues to have it worst with 7% of positions unfulfilled. English language learning programs are also especially understaffed at 6%, as is computer science, which is at 5%. -hmm. Areas with the fewest vacancies are social studies and English language arts that are at 2% each. Mm. So here's just some numbers about uh, the vacancies. Sure. Um, And again, these are just from sample schools. So continuing to think about numbers, um, I just wanted to highlight how actually difficult it is to get an accurate picture. So this is the Education Week article. Um, How bad is the teacher shortage? What two new studies say? This is by Madeline Will. uh, This is from September 6, 2022. There are too many data access limitations to make it possible to quantify the extent of the national shortage. We just don't have the data or it isn't accessible. So with the data available, researchers estimate there are more than 36,000 teacher vacancies in the nation. They also estimate that there are more than 163,000 positions filled by teachers who aren't fully certified or not certified in the subject area they're teaching. Mm. It's also a conservative estimate because the researchers aren't able to collect comprehensive information for 13 states which is a lot of states, including mm-hmm. populous states like California, Oregon, Louisiana, Ohio, and New York. It's unclear whether the data doesn't exist or they don't have the personnel or capacity to produce the information Nguyen said. Mm-hmm. 
The researchers found that the national K-12 education labor market shrank by about 9% from March to May 2020. So here's the COVID-19 impact with significant job losses among school support staff. So these aren't the teachers, but these are other staff at the school Mm -hmm. who were often laid off at the start of the pandemic when schools were closed. Many of the jobs that were lost in that spring were the were then recovered in the fall of 2020, but not all. By March 2022, employment levels remained 4% below pre-pandemic levels. So mm. these are support staff. These would be maintenance workers, uh, cafeteria workers. These are workers that would were not ha- be necessary for participating in um, Zoom classes, right? right? Remote yeah. classes. And so they were all fired and not all of them were rehired. Which is uh, true for many, many labor uh, situations, yeah. and not just schools. Um, still, it's hard to draw any definitive conclusions from these findings, given the lack of reliable and comparable data. The researchers, researchers noted that until now, compiling this data wasn't a high priority for states. So this data is only huh. being compiled now. Interesting. While teacher shortages are not new... They have never captured national attention to this extent. There have been long, there there have been real long withstanding shortages in some schools and some subjects for a decade in this country. Um, this is a quote from someone named Kraft in the article. All articles and stuff are going to be linked in the show notes, so yeah, you can get the whole picture there. Um, in my view, the fact that we're only talking about these localized shortages now is the story. That is the crisis. Why have we effectively accepted the fact that some schools just aren't able to get the teachers they need and that every student deserves? So those are some numbers. And Mm -hmm. so let's sort of move into why. Why teacher shortages? Um, Thinking back on the quote that I just said, that there are more than 163,000 positions filled by teachers who aren't fully certified or are not certified in the subject they are teaching, Mm -hmm. I'm interested in learning more about who they are. But I'm guessing that they are teachers who genuinely care about and want to be teachers. Mm -hmm. There aren't a lot of people who fall into teaching as just a job. And that's my opinion, but it's not just a job that you can just do. Yeah. Well, it's even, it's not like you can get hired that easily. <laughs> like, it's not like, I, I feel like, I mean, I, I just, I feel like you're about to talk about this, so I won't go into it. But like, I, yeah, like the, it is hard well, to get a job not, as a I'm teacher. I'm not talking about just getting hired or getting a job. Yeah. I'm saying people aren't, t- the hu- person isn't going to be a teacher unless they want to be a teacher, unless they feel yeah. like being a teacher. It's not like waitressing. Well, yeah, that, but, but that's <laughs> what, I mean what I mean is that it's like... It's not just a job. It's not just a job. And I think because of that, like, there, you're not going to get a lot of people that want to just pick it up the way that you pick up retail work because you would have to try really hard. You have to try really hard. But something that exacerbates the teacher shortage are these barriers to entry, right? So this is what mm-hmm. we're talking about. So this is also from that USA Today article. Several years ago, Naomi Norman, superintendent of Washtenaw Intermediate School District in Michigan, had a conversation that changed her perspective on the needs of the teaching profession. It was with a special education teaching assistant adored by the school community and a natural at working with children with complex learning needs. 
Special education teachers were and remain hard to come by. The field needed people precisely like this paraprofessional to fill those roles, Dorman thought. So why hadn't he considered pursuing a degree to become a professional teacher? The aide explained he was the breadwinner for a family of five children and already working a second job to make do. He couldn't afford to quit his day job, give up health insurance, and go back to school, much less pay the tuition. Michigan is on the lower end when it comes to paraprofessional pay, with an average salary of less than $27,000, according to ZipRecruiter data. So it's difficult for people to break into the profession Mm -hmm. that costs a lot to get into and then pays poorly. Right. Um, I think many more people would become teachers if student loans weren't such a horrible issue in this country. Yeah. Um, And I have seen states lower degree expectations. This is happening, um, such as Arizona only requiring someone to be enrolled in college in order to begin teaching in public schools. But I feel like that isn't the solution. Mm-hmm. Getting rid of um, predatory student loans and paying teachers more is the solution. Right. Um, and I think, and I want to say, like, uh, thinking about, like, so Arizona is allowing you, this is new, right? This is right. 2022. Because um, they needed to fill p- teaching positions. Um, they were allowing people who only had a high school degree to teach high school. So. Okay. And I feel like... Um, you know, teachers, uh, there's teacher training, right? Learning yeah. how to run a classroom. There's a lot of things that go into being a teacher other than literally just the subject you're teaching, right? Mm-hmm. So just because you've been in school doesn't mean you don't, you know what it's like to run a classroom. Yeah. Um, my, I, I have a, one of my best friends, um, was an elementary school teacher and did sort of a dual teaching degree, English degree at the bachelor level. Um, and and we've talked a lot about like teacher training programs and like their experience. Um, when you're in a teacher training program, you do work in a classroom usually as like an assistant, right? Um, mm-hmm. To get that hands-on experience. But there's like I think there's a lot of good uh, criticisms of teacher training programs that sort of fall outside the scope of this episode. But like like Kathy was just saying, teaching isn't. You do need training. The training should just be accessible. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, and that's what I'm saying is, like, I, I'm not interested. I'm not saying you need – I'm not trying – I'm trying to talk about how it's – there's, like, a word I'm trying to think of, and I cannot think of the word. Um, But, like, it has nothing to do with wanting to be elitist, needing right. a degree, right? Um, But there's reasons that these degrees exist because mm-hmm. there are – um, there are professional things that we want to make sure people – it's responsible. It's more yeah. responsible to have someone who knows – what they're doing in a classroom rather yeah. than just throwing someone in there and for the safety of the teacher and the safety of the students right exactly yeah so in addition to this problem of the barrier to entry um there are many other reasons for the teacher shortage basically that attrition word teachers quitting the profession and not coming back back to that usa today article um here's some quotes of some other reasons mm-hmm. uh low pay and low morale Mounting political and academic pressures, such as the book bans, Mm -hmm. um, health and safety concerns, a generation of teachers hitting or nearing retirement, and another generation of prospective teachers deterred by the profession's flailing reputation and the sacrifices it necessitates. Mm -hmm. Um, 
Teachers also work way over the 40 hours a week that unions in this country fought for. Um, a survey showed teachers and principals work 52 hours and 58 hours a week on average, respectively. Mm -hmm. So um, we're going to keep talking about uh, the why um, with another article. And this is article titled The Silent Strike, Teacher Attrition as Resistance by Jeremy Glazer from 2018. So this is right before COVID-19. Mm -hmm. Taking to the streets in protest is not the only way teachers react to poor working conditions. He begins the article um, by talking about how the teacher walkouts are str and strikes is not the only form of discontent and protest, but also the increasing number of teachers leaving the profession. The typical, the typical teacher used to have 15 years of experience. Do you Here's a question. Do you remember your teachers, Remus? Were they all new teachers? Because nowadays um, it's under five years of experience is the more typical experience. Mm -hmm. Most of my teachers, I think, were fairly experienced. Mm -hmm. um, I did have a weird situation because I went to those. <clears throat> excuse me. I went to the art. I went to an art high school um, in middle school. And well, I'm thinking more elementary. Elementary. Uh, I had the same two elementary teachers for most of my time in elementary school, and I believe they they were a married couple who had been teaching for like twenty or thirty years. Right. So, and that's and that's my memory as well. Like my memory is teachers who have been there for a very long time, and yeah. maybe that's like me as like a little kid thinking all adults are super old. Sure. <laughs> But I do think that is the average. That's what this is, is. The typical teacher used to have 15 years of experience, and now it's under five years of experience, meaning the more experienced teachers are leaving. Mm. So it's just the average teacher has worked under five years in the profession. Mm -hmm. um, teachers' reasons for leaving didn't fit with... Um, this is from the article as well. Teachers leave reasons for leaving didn't fit with traditional understandings of teacher attrition. So this is traditionally why people thought teachers left the profession. And these folk, um, these understandings were focused on qualifications because less qualified teachers are more likely to leave. Hmm. Feelings of competence. Teachers who don't think they are good are more likely to leave. Or school characteristics. Teachers in lower performing schools are more likely to leave. And I'm going to come back to that one. Okay. Instead, most of the two dozen people he interviewed for this article were motivated to leave teaching by interference in their ability to do the job in the way they thought was best. Mm. So imposed curriculum. So like public schools, like imposing what you have to teach and how, right. when you have to teach it. Poor job security. And increasing focus on testing were reasons that people were quitting. Mm. There's so much we can learn about how to improve our schools by listening to teachers who protest out loud. But we must also listen to the silent protest of those who quietly leave the career. We ignore them at our peril. That's what he, how he ended the article. <laughs> <laughs> but I did want to say something about teacher unions. Um, that's sure. not what this focus is on. The, the conversation is on. Um, but I wanted to make sure that that was in there. But also sort of thinking about teachers quitting the job is also a form of protest. Right. Um, so those are a few of our first reasons that teachers are leaving. Um, they are unable to teach they want to teach. 
teach the way they want to teach, such as curriculum, job security, and testing. Sure. Um, but I want to keep digging. Uh, teachers aren't teachers because it's a job that pays bills, like I was just saying. It's a calling for people. And quitting is very, very difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, so about the lower performing schools causing teachers to leave, as I just said, I'm just going to read a bit of the abstract from this one because it's not my favorite paper, if I'm going to be honest. Sure. But, you know, people do research and it's uh, sometimes it's helpful. Um, so this is an article titled An Event History Analysis of Teacher Attrition, Salary, Teacher Tracking and Socially Disadvantaged Schools. It's authored um, by Sean Kelly. Um, it's from the Journal of Experimental Education from spring 2004. So this okay. is a little bit old as well. Almost 20 years old. Eesh. Oof. Um, consistent with prior research, higher teacher salaries reduced attrition. Oh, shocking. P- people don't want to quit a job if you pay them more. Mm, weird. <laughs> <laughs> and then the article says, but only slightly so, <laughs> which is kind of true. Like, I feel like as a teacher, you kind of understand you're not going to, you're not going to be making bank as right. a teacher. Right. Yeah. Um, there's an understanding, but we need to like be able to pay rent and for groceries and stuff. Um, teacher attrition was no higher in socially disadvantaged schools, but poor behavioral climates did lead to greater attrition. Now, let me say here, they measure behavior in this article, so student behavior, as interfering with teaching, so it's students, student interruptions, disrespect, student apathy, and student poverty, which is a wild <laughs> measurement combination. Sorry? What? <laughs> so, sorry. I, what? <laughs> I, like, do not know where poverty came from. Also, how do you quantify? I guess you could literally check the number of times a student interrupts someone while they're teaching, but apathy? How are you quantifying yeah. apathy? It's a very strange article. Kind of lead into the next part. Um, sure. Despite strong evidence on the effects of teacher tracking on satisfaction and e- efficacy, um, so how effective their t- teaching is, um, there's no evidence of higher rates of attrition among teachers who taught predominantly low-track classes. Tracking mm. defined here as lower-ability classes. Classes. So, um, as I was saying, I-, I-, I wanted to refer to this the previous quote that was saying that... Uh, it, traditionally, it was thought of that teachers who taught uh, lowering performing schools, who taught um, uh, lower uh, qu- like uh, lower ability classes, mm-hmm. uh, quit. Um, but uh, so this article, this research was saying that teachers aren't more likely to stay because they teach lower level classes. Um, so meaning. <laughs> It's interesting to think about it, like, as if teachers who teach AP classes of students are doing very well in are more likely to stay um, than teachers who are teaching lower level classes. Uh, It doesn't quite make sense to me, Um, which is what this research is saying is that's not why teachers leave. Okay, so uh, let's talk about student behavior. Um, I personally think the idea of blaming student behavior for why teachers leave is very old-fashioned. Um, human behavior is based on its environment. To blame the students is a scapegoat, a misdirection, a red herring. Um, it's likely many, many factors within mm-hmm. a school that results in problematic student behavior. 
uh, teachers and students are in a space together. We need to be given what they need to thrive together. Mm -hmm. That being said, this last summer at my teacher summer teaching position was a really difficult one. I don't know if I've talked about it on here, um, but I had a very, very hard summer teaching. Right. Um, and it's because of how much our students were struggling. Um, not in school, in life. Yeah. I almost quit in the middle of the summer. It was getting so extreme. Um, a lot of my frustration with the difficult be student behavior was due to the lack of support I was getting and the lack of working to change the problems, right? Yeah. It felt like it was just me and the students and we weren't getting support. Um, mm -hmm. Examples of extreme behavior are third graders getting into fistfights, a student with a bloody nose who is refusing to see the nurse and just bleeding on my classroom supplies, um, and another teenager who is not my student at the time getting into my face and threatening me. He, was, he wanted to fight. Um, and I'm not exaggerating when I say this is unprovoked behavior from him. I literally hadn't spoken a word to him all summer before this happened. Mm. Um, and don't be concerned about me. I had a really compassion. I had compassion and de-escalated the situation. And we were. I worked through it with him in sort of a re restorative justice mindset. Mm -hmm. um, but clearly this kind of extreme behavior isn't coming out of nowhere. Right. In March 17th. 2022 the american psychological association published the article teachers other school personnel experience violence threats harassment during the pandemic um here's a quote approximately one-third of teachers report that they experienced at least one incident of verbal harassment or threat of violence from students during the pandemic and almost 50 percent expressed a plan or desire to quit or transfer jobs according to a survey one out of every three teachers, 33%, reported at least one incident of verbal harassment or threatening behavior from a student, and 29% reported at least one incident from a parent of a student. The numbers were even higher for school administrators. Approximately 37% reported at least one incident of harassment or threat of violence from a student, and 42% reported the same from a parent. Approximately 14% of teachers reported incidents of physical violence from a student, and it wasn't just teachers, at least 18% of school psychologists and social workers, 15% of school administrators, and 22% of other school staff reported at least one violent incident by a student during the pandemic. The toll of all the harassment and violence against teachers and school, and school staff is formidable, according to Mick Mahan. Mm. The survey found at least half, 49% of teachers, expressed a desire to plan or quit or transfer to another school. More teachers reported a desire to quit 43% than to transfer, mm -hmm. 26%. Although not as high as among teachers, a large percentage of school psychologists and school social workers, 34%, school administrators, 31%, and other school staff, 29%, also reported a desire or plan to quit or transfer. And the, this article doesn't go into why where uh, students are sort of exhibiting more violent behavior. Um, but back in January one of the same of that same year, 2021, uh, the American Psy Psychological Association published another article titled "Children's Mental Health Is in Crisis: As Pandemic Stressors Continue, Kids' Mental Health Needs to Be Addressed in Schools." Mm -hmm. As the United States approaches two years, two full years of the COVID-19 pandemic, we're now approaching three. Mental illness and the demand for psychological services are at all-time highs especially among children. <coughs> While some children benefited from changes like remote learning, 
I and I like that it notes that some children did benefit from remote learning. Yeah. Others are facing a mental health crisis. Along with more minor mental and behavioral health concerns, teachers are facing an unprecedented number of students with trauma, said Lori McGarry Close, PhD, president of NASP and director of the school psychology program at Trinity University in San Antonio, Texas. And many teachers don't feel equipped to handle their students' struggles. A 2020 survey by the New York Life Foundation and American Federation of Teachers found that only 15% of educators said they felt comfortable addressing grief or trauma tied to the pandemic. Teachers are more likely to dismiss trauma-driven behaviors as belligerents when they're under strain. So with proper resources and training, they can better identify kids who are struggling and route them to appropriate support services within the school system. Okay, so I do want to say... I didn't put this in my notes uh, for you, Remus, but um, <laughs> this article beforehand, the one that talks about the teachers uh, receiving threats and violence, it doesn't, it talks about students as if they are just not human. Like it mm. does, it isn't talking about students at all in this article. And it's very strange how it like, how it's talking about how students are violent and teachers are like scared. Mm. It's really dehumanizing to students i just want to say that i think okay. i like i like the numbers and i sure. like the fact it's actually talking about it but i don't like the way it's addressing it mm-hmm. and so um this quote in the one in the other apa article about children's mental health where it says teachers are more likely to dismiss trauma driven behaviors as belligerents when they're mm-hmm. under strain so the teachers are under strain and they think these behaviors are belligerent, right? right? So the other article is just a survey of teachers. So I think this article actually starts to help recognize that teachers aren't necessarily, aren't going to be the best, <laughs> right. the best people to, to talk about why a student is acting a certain way, right? Right. Because, because we're all under strain. Yeah, and it is easy to interpret when you are already under strain. I imagine it's easy to yeah. interpret a trauma reaction as a threatening behavior towards you or something. Yes. And so this article, back to the um, second article we were talking about from the APA. Um, we know one-on-one therapy won't be possible for every kid who's struggling. Why? Um, <laughs> let's think mm. about why. Mm. Um, so we need a multi-pronged approach to help build the capacity of teachers and staff to support kids in the classroom setting, said Melissa P. Rowe, PhD, a professor of counseling and school psychology at the University of Massachusetts, Boston. So Mm -hmm. in my opinion, this is asking a lot from teachers who are also also experiencing the same pandemic level trauma as their students. I would not be surprised. So you're asking teachers to teach a class. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and also provide one-on-one therapy <laughs> yeah this if i can if i can say really quick this also like my the my aforementioned um friend uh actually wrote their undergraduate thesis on the uh the sort of trope of the mother teacher and mm-hmm. the sort of like pervasive cultural idea that like particularly like teachers but particularly you know like women uh f- women teachers are like that's a crazy way to say that but i think you know what i mean uh women who teach are, teachers. are <laughs> women teachers <laughs> women teachers are but anyway like 
it's seen, you know, they're they're sort of expected to take on an emotional, um, like burden. I don't know if burden is the best word, but you know what I mean. They're, it's sort of expected to like act as mothers in addition to teaching, and I feel like this really this idea that like the kids are struggling, so it's up to the teachers to become their therapist plays into that idea a lot, right? Yeah. And and I, and I think we have talked about social emotional learning we have talked about uh trauma informed teaching and that is different that's different (laughs) that is different than literally providing psychological support right right so we're talking about helping a student who has received experienced trauma learn in a classroom but hopefully they are receiving support for psychological support for that trauma outside of the classroom right right so those are the two different th- the, the, those are two different things, right? So I know we have talked about social emotional learning. I've talked about it a lot, treating he- teach students as the human beings they are that are complex. Mm-hmm. But you can't ask, and you ca- it's it's you can't. It's actually not safe. You need right. to have boundaries, right? Teachers and students need to have boundaries, and we cannot provide one-on-one type therapy right it's just it's it's not only is it too much to ask it actually genuinely you want boundaries Mm -hmm. between children and adults yeah um it's safe and safety um so if this is sort of what people are expecting from teachers Mm -hmm. um no one should be surprised that it leads to the next reason that I'm talking about teacher attrition and why the teacher shortage might exist. It's burnout. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So this is from an article by E.Up Yurt. It's from June, 2022. Um, It's titled collective teacher self-efficacy and burnout, the mediator role of job satisfaction. And this paper is a study um, this is from the Journal of Modern Educational Studies. Um, it's a study about how effective teachers are versus burnout, a.k.a. if a teacher is burned out, they are not doing well at their job <laughs> being a teacher <laughs> um, to teach children things. <laughs> yeah. Weird. It's so weird. funny to talk about teaching and then be like, literally, the whole point is that the student should be learning things, right? Yeah. Um, so here's a quote that's summarizing other research studies on teachers and burnout. So he, this, I'm just grabbing this article. This is his like uh, literature review, and I thought it was uh, handy. Someone mm. else wrote the literature review for me on burnout. The sense of burnout causes teachers to feel physically and emotionally exhausted at school. Teachers' co- organizational commitment decreases due to the sense of burnout. Teachers' self-efficacy and professional engagement are negatively affected by burnout. Mm-hmm. So this is all research that has done to as if you have to have research to show that burnout causes teachers to feel physically and emotionally exhausted. Um, <laughs> I just love like, academia sometimes is like so funny. Um, teachers experiencing burnout have lower perceptions of self-confidence, motivation, self-esteem, and productivity. The perception of burnout in teachers was found to be associated with low academic achievement and a lack of motivation in students. So if a teacher is burned out, it affects the students poorly as well. Mm -hmm. 
And now this paper posits a theory. Ensuring collective teacher efficacy and increasing job satisfaction may prevent teachers from experiencing burnout. But, <laughs> but I think, but thinking it's just job satisfaction is so complicated. I think burnout is way more complicated than that. Mm -hmm. So here's another article. Leaving the profession. The context behind one quality teacher's professional burnout um, authors Mary Elizabeth Lloyd and Alexandra Sullivan uh, from Teacher Education Quarterly, Fall 2012. I'm pulling this from the final reflection of the article because it's getting us to the meat of the matter. Mm -hmm. And it's going to get us to the article that I love the most. I'm going to quote the most. Good teachers are burning out even with some support competitive pay, a feeling of camaraderie, good classroom management, classroom management is uh, student behaviors, mm -hmm. and feeling well prepared both in the, their knowledge of the content and pedagogy. We are settling, we are setting impossible expectations for those who do not want to compromise their standards of quality teaching. And this ethical disagreement is the biggest reason I feel teachers are quitting. Mm -hmm. So here is the, at least for I feel the biggest reasons that teachers are quitting the profession is the moral and ethical disagreement and that the work is being degraded. So I'm going to do some big quotes from this article, but I feel like it's really a, a very valuable piece to be listening to. Mm -hmm. um, and it is titled... I was becoming increasingly uneasy about the profession and what was being asked of me. Preserving integrity in teaching by Doris A. Santoro. So this is from the abstract. This article offers a model of the relationship between three dimensions of integrity in teaching. Personal integrity, professional integrity, and the integrity of teaching and illustrates the model through interview excerpts from 13 experienced former teachers. I argue that experienced teachers' decisions to leave work they love can be understood not only as attempts to preserve their personal integrity, but also to preserve the integrity of teaching by withdrawing their corroded professional integrity. Mm. Only by looking at all three dimensions of integrity can the actions of teaching's con conscientious objectors be viewed as moral commentary on a moral enterprise rather than the private and personal laments of disgruntled individuals. When the role of teacher serves as a significant source of moral identity, protecting the integrity of teaching is deeply connected to protecting one's personal integrity. Dimi dis diminishment in what counts as teaching results in a diminishment of the self. Rather than viewing teachers who leave for matters of conscience as lacking sufficient commitment or ceasing to care about their work, this analysis views their choices as reflecting deep investment in preserving the practice of teaching. And this is quoting from the section Integrity and Conscientious Objection. My interest in integrity extends to the discussion on conscientious objection in teaching. Teaching's conscientious objectors find themselves at an impasse, what Dewey calls a moral situation. 
faced with the options of teaching in ways that they feel are harmful to students or leaving teaching and no longer working with the students that they have served well for years, they encounter an incompatibility of ends. Conscientious objectors leave due to moral and ethical disagreements regarding pedagogical policy rather than spurred solely by the desire or need to pursue new career paths, find a better school environment, or prioritize family. There are many reasons to leave teaching, but in speaking about conscientious objectors, I focus on those whose reasons are, in part, moral and ethical. And an example of that erosion on integrity. Susan recounted how she was asked to produce term grades in a single day after her principal forgot to notify the faculty that the due date had been changed. For some teachers, this issue would not constitute a major moral dilemma, but simply represent an administrative inconvenience. Mm -hmm. Yet Susan's commitments, those that signaled who she was as a teacher and a person, involved carefully considering and studying students' work and methodically to arrive at grades that were true to what she needed to communicate to her students and their parents. Being asked to do them quickly violated her personal integrity, her professional integrity, and the integrity of teaching. Mm. And the paper talks about professional integrity coming into that conflict with personal integrity. Noelle described how her professional integrity was challenged by expectations and decisions made at the district level. She said that she was expected to develop and implement a new curriculum with two months' notice. She recalled thinking, I don't believe in any of this. I can't be a part of any of this if you are doing wrong by children. It's sort of like being involved is tacit approval for something that I fundamentally disagree with. Noelle believed that children deserve a curriculum that is well-researched and developed thoughtfully with prepared teachers. She believed that the elementary school where she worked should establish stability in its pre-existing programs before expanding into a middle school. Noelle's expression of conscience and conscience in relation to her professional integrity is not born of personal predilection, but from a professional understanding of what it means to serve students well. Yet, it is also clear that that threats to her professional integrity diminished her sense of personal integrity. She worried about how her involvement signaled complicity complicity with with wrongdoing toward children which would also violate the integrity of the profession. By withdrawing her damaged professional integrity, she could attempt to preserve her personal integrity and the integrity of teaching. And this is from the conclusion. The teachers in the study were people for whom teaching was more than a job. Teaching for them was a fundamental source of identity and a way of engaging with the world. It is unsurprising then if teaching was a primary source to express the self and its moral commitments that so many of the former teachers spoke of recovering, regrouping, and struggling to regain a sense of self after choosing to leave the profession. And I want to say that again because this is really interesting. So they leave the profession and they talk about recovering. Mm -hmm. 
because of the damage that they've received, regrouping themselves and then struggling to regain a sense of who they are. So they had to recover from all the damage they had received, and then they have lost their sense of self. Mm -hmm. Teaching for many practitioners constitutes a moral identity as well as a professional identity. For teachers who leave to feel as though they are preserving the practice of teaching by not participating in a degraded form of the work, they must hold on to the idea that good work continues to be carried on elsewhere. Mm. And this is something that I feel myself. We have a moral obligation to teach children the best we can. Being a teacher is a big part of who I am and how I give back to the world. It is dis difficult to participate in it when we feel like it's doing something badly or wrong. Yeah. And I do have a small portion. I lied at the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> I have a small portion about how it is affecting students. Um, and here, this is also from the USA Today article that I talked about at the very beginning. How are teacher shortages affecting students? Shortages tend to be worse in low-income areas. 57% of high-poverty schools that participated in the October School Plus panel, this is the October 2022 um, survey, reported at least one teaching vacancy. So 57% of high-poverty schools have at least one vacancy, including well over a third of those having multiple openings. The same was true for 41% of low-poverty schools, less than a quarter of which reported multiple vacancies. Similarity dis similar disparities emerge when those looking at racial composition of schools. 60% of those where at least three quarters of students are people of color have one or more vacancies compared with less than a third of those where at least three quarters of the students are white. Mm. That means the shortages are concentrated at schools whose students are hit hardest by the academic disruptions of the pandemic. In other words, the children arguably most in need of qualified teachers are also the most likely to attend schools who don't have enough. And I just ended with teachers want to teach. Um, so here's the conclusion. Uh, what did we learn? What are our goals? And what do we want our takeaways to be? So what did you learn, Remus? Um, I mean, I'm thinking a lot about the... Um, Preserving Integrity and in Teaching by Doris A. Santoro article you were you read a lot of. Mm -hmm. Um, I think, I mean, it's interesting, uh, to look for for that like analysis to be looking at like personal integrity versus job integrity and like the idea of like leaving to preserve the image of teaching, right? Mm -hmm. Um, but it also, <laughs> I my 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 situation was obviously a bit different since I was teaching at the college level and I'm not and I, it was part of my grad school program and not like a job job per se but um when I was uh <laughs> really going through it at UF um the one thing that kind of like kept me is that like I genuinely like teaching was the only thing in grad school that I really enjoyed doing mm -hmm. um and cared the most about and I kind of when things were getting, when things started to get really bad, um, I kind of hit this point where I was, where I was like, you know, like, oh, I'm going to miss teaching. And that was sort of like keeping me there. But then I kind of was like, I'm not teaching anymore. 
because like the circumstances are so bad and I'm so burnt out and the school is implementing all of these policies that go directly against like what I need to do to teach. Um, and it just sort of felt like I was putting on like a facade of teaching so that the school could continue to collect tuition checks. Mm -hmm. Um, and that was the moment, like, that was the moment where I was finally like, okay, I can walk away from this. Like, I can teach again in the future in a different circumstance, but I'm not teaching right now. Mm -hmm. um, like, even though I'm in a classroom or, like, in a Zoom classroom, I'm just not, this isn't what teaching is. Mm -hmm. um, so that article sort of hit, <laughs> sort of hit hard. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, like, I, I think, I think there's a lot to be said about the effects of... Uh, material uh, situations. Yeah. And how it affects uh, mental situations. Yeah. Right. And also thinking about, it also makes me think about just how much, I didn't get super into it here, mm -hmm. um, but how political schools are. Yeah. And how the attacks on public school, mm -hmm. the attacks on book bans, which also includes content. What, what a curriculum can hold yeah um and how those attacks have nothing to do with uh, protecting children yeah it has so much more to do with undermining democracy if you control public schools are places in which um children learn how to be free thinkers how to read for themselves mm -hmm. and if you're a th free thinker you would never be conservative <laughs> right <laughs> and yeah. Um, so the conservative attack on public schools is a way of undermining public schools to eventually get it so they are no longer effective and then they can be closed. They can be, mm -hmm. and I'm getting a little conspiratorial here, but it's feels like what conservatives want uh, is fascism. Right yeah. is oh, completely. controlling minds, and in order to control minds, you got to teach them to not read, to not think for themselves, mm -hmm. and that's what public school is. It's everyone, every child's right to learn. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's dark. <laughs> <laughs> it's dark. Um, but thinking about uh why teachers are quitting is because it becoming so untenable um so what what can we do right i mean what can you do you can join school boards you can yeah. join protests you can support teacher unions you can support um free thinking you can protest um all these lawmakers who are trying to make um identity illegal <laughs> right <laughs> um can you think of other things people can do I think you. I think those are the big ones in regards to this uh, school. Getting involved in school boards, going to meetings and town halls, um, supporting teachers' unions, supporting student protests too. Right? Um, yeah. The there's Providence Student Union. I don't know if that's going to be in other schools, but like listening to what kids want, what yeah. students, what's happen, what's ac genuinely happening in their classrooms and in their schools. Mm -hmm. And listening to what they want to protest and attending those protests and being supportive. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I mean, I think um, I'm and rethinking what school can be. Yeah. 
right? Teaching each other. Um, ooh, it got dark, Remus. I'm sorry. No, it's a heavy. It's a not a great time that we're living in. So, yeah, I had never uh, talked about. Did I ever tell you about the that student threatening me? No. It was um, it was like at the time, I. <laughs> It was kind of funny to me because I was wearing like a tie-dye apron. <laughs> oh. And I'm like the art teacher. Right? right, yeah. Um, but it wasn't it wasn't funny to him. He was sure. like really uh he was really distressed yeah. and angry. Um and so working with him and speaking with him the next day and like healing together with him mm-hmm. um was really uh I'm very grateful. Yeah. Uh, for that. But it was a very hard summer. Like, if you can yeah. think about, and it's hard <laughs> if you don't experience it yourself, it's hard to think about these instances, instances within context. Right. But no, one, no one's doing that without a lot of things being very difficult. Yeah. Um, and so, um, I don't know. It made me very sad to, th- to, I, I, called uh, to threaten to quit um not because of that incident but because of many things yeah and um i just i i i can't believe i had to threaten to quit i i just like it's and i think of reading these papers it is so difficult and when i told my friends that i was thinking of quitting they were shocked <laughs> to hear i mean you that love that, that job yeah but yeah, like I think like it, it it has to take you to such extremes to get mm-hmm. to the place where cuz you believe so much in what you're doing. Like yeah. like being a teacher is so much of how I participate in society, how I mm-hmm. do good things in society. It is like I wouldn't say it's necessarily my identity and sure. who I am because I try to not identify myself with a profession (laughs) sure yeah (laughs) um but uh, is very much how i choose to put good into the world and that's a huge that's like the number one reason why i became a teacher is i wanted to do positive things in children's lives and families Mm -hmm. lives yeah um so the idea of quitting is very 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 difficult and you know ultimately i didn't quit that summer um (laughs) (laughs) um but um well thank you um do you have any other conclusions because we have a letter oh we have a letter no let's go right to the letter yeah so it is now time for letters to the editor a regular segment where um we read your emails so you can send us letters to drawing a dialogue at gmail.com and we got a long letter uh from alenka I'm wondering if I pl- pasted this into the. Maybe you could read it because I just read so much. Maybe you want to turn. Uh, you did not paste it into the. I'm, I'm doing it now. I'm, oh, I just you're doing, I'm doing it now. now. Okay, I was just going to yeah. log into our email, but <laughs> that's also good. I just put it in the doc. Oh, yep. There it is. Okay, so I will read this. It, it, just read the whole thing. Is that the idea? I, you know, they said that I you, we don't need to talk about it, but I thought it was really good. So, sure, yeah, <laughs> okay. So you said this is from Alinka. Alinka. Yes. Mm-hmm. All right. So they wrote in. Um, 
I actually want to talk about two graphic novels that they just read that they think are exciting. Kowloon Romance by Jun uh, Mayuzuki and Blue Period by Subasa Yamaguchi. I wanted to bring up Blue Period first because I thought about this manga series a lot while listening to the episode on Comic Art Ed. Um, I am bad at keeping up with series, so I'm just picking Blue Period back up and slowly trucking through a bunch of volumes. I picked it back up at volume six with Yatora at a very stressful point in art school exams. What really struck me as he meditated on the possible self-portraits and a downer of perspective, a perspective on the human body, is how his art, and especially in Kathy's art teaching philosophy, the self and identity matter. I have an undergrad lit degree and was very much taught to strip myself out of my writing. Now in my comics criticism over the years, I've pulled myself back into my writing and that's been very valuable. Blue Period made me unfairly jealous because even with all the stress Yatora is going through, he gets to fully put himself into his work and explore his identity as he works on his art. He's often anxious and has a big inferiority complex, but he's looking inward a lot and it's pretty cool. Side um, note. Oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say, have you read Blue Period? I haven't, but I was going to say, um, I hate that thing that sometimes happens in English where they're like you can't use I or put yourself in it because it's just not true if you look at any published article ever <laughs> in the humanities <laughs> I had to do a lot of I did a lot of hand holding with my kids where I was like no you can you can talk about it's okay you can use I, I it's fine please <laughs> I mean I guess unless you're writing a Wikipedia article <laughs> yeah there's like genres where they want the more like objective but like if you Look at any Bell Hooks article. Like, hello? Um, anyway, uh, Alenka continues, I wanted to share Kowloon Romance because it is a wild mix of romance, sci-fi, and a little bit of horror. Ooh. I also didn't know that Kowloon Walled City had been a real place and read the Wikipedia article about it after I read the first volume. The series plants Kowloon in a strange future, likely a dystopian one, but it doesn't focus on that setting. It focuses on two employees of a real estate office that's fun, who are also a helpful staple of their very dense neighborhood, which is full of interesting characters. The protagonist, Kujirai, has a mysterious memory loss, possibly tied to some larger aspects of the strange setting, but everything is very slow burn. I love stories like this, expansive and wild settings with a specific, very personal focus. There are only two translated volumes so far, but I am excited for more. If I'm allowed to add a sneaky third... I just want to say that Thieves by Lucy Byron is fantastic, and I got a teen, a teen to check it out. I'm a teen librarian. By telling them it was about gay teens who steal stuff. That's all you need. That's the tagline. <laughs> so these all, I haven't read any of these, but these are all fantastic recommendations. I definitely want to pick up Kowloon Romance because I am a sucker for series about people who work in like very bureaucratic settings. I don't yeah. like... I don't like bureaucracy like in my real actual life, but I do think it's very fun in fiction. I don't know. Why. I I I enjoy it too. I enjoy like people in like a work setting. Um, I've I've read Blue Period, and I actually think ep uh, Volume Six is kind of when I where I am right now. Um, oh. yeah, but like ah, the um, I love ep uh, my favorite manga growing up was uh, Honey and Clover, which is also students in uh -huh. art school art students is just uh such a lovely um also there was that new series uh blank canvas my so-called artist's journey um which is also mm. about uh being an art student um all those are great <laughs>
Uh, guess who, uh, while you were reading that uh, letter, Remus, uh, discovered that their uh, garage band stopped recording. Oh, no. At what point? <laughs> um, so if you're listening to this episode, um, it stopped uh, my garage band. It might start to sound bad because we had to switch to the Zoom recording, but that's why you have a backup Zoom cool. recording. That's fine. I think we've gotten pretty good at not talking over each other. So honestly, having us both on the same sound stream isn't a huge okay. bummer to edit. Um, a huge bummer to edit. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Yeah, I'm very sorry. I was actually made sure to check to make sure my blue snowball was what Zoom was picking up. So at least it's the good, oh, good. microphone. Okay. I'm sorry, everyone. I uh, my <laughs> headphones h- halfway through the episode, my headphones started freaking out, and my guess is that's that's when it happened. Um, you know, no if worries. you want to uh send us donations, um, to so I can buy <laughs> headphones that aren't broken. <laughs> yeah, we've never really tried to monetize no! this, which I think it is fine. But like, there is stuff we could. Do- Kathy pays for the website like we have we equipment is always a thing with podcasts so I've been told um you know there are things so if you like us you could I don't know (laughs) (laughs) and let her get headphones (laughs) I don't actually expect anyone to do it so I'm not gonna drop my Venmo but (laughs) go ahead and oh uh I don't I was gonna say DM me DM me on Instagram I'm out I'm out of Twitter Man, I'm out. Out. Mm, I mean, Mazel yeah. Tov. I would love to be out of Twitter, but I need... I'm not an early adopter. I need all the people I care I about. Know, to I know, I know. I'm I'm on Mastodon. Um, I'm enjoying Mastodon. Uh, you should follow me on Mastodon. I like Mastodon. Yeah. I, I like... This yeah. is the thing that I enjoy doing on Twitter, and Twitter just isn't having it and hasn't had it for years, where I like to post links. So I've been posting music that I'm listening to. I post links to Ooh. stuff on Mastodon, and Mastodon is only chronological and doesn't have an algorithm that treats uh, one yeah. post different than another. Um, so thank you uh, to Downtown Boys for the use of their song Wave of History. It's off their album Full Communism. Uh, you can get it off their band camp. They've been, they're on tour right now. They're kind of playing shows again. Ooh. It's very fun. Nice. Uh, get in it. Um, it's your turn. Right. Um, so you can head over to drawingadialogue.com to get all the citations for this podcast um, episode, or all the other episodes, frankly. Um, Drawing a Dialogue is hosted on Kathy's comicarted.com, which is a fantastic repository of knowledge Ooh. about teaching comics and comics in general. Repository of knowledge. Um, <laughs> Gee whiz. Mm-hmm. Felt like being fancy. Like, uh, Kathy already said this, but you can email us at drawingadialogue at gmail.com. That letter from Malenka was really fun. Yes. If other people want to also send us their manga recs, if we just want to keep that going. I loved that letter. Thank you so much for <laughs> please. sending it. And please. Yeah. Email. Doesn't have to be manga. Just tell us about a comic yeah. you like or a book you even. know what? I, ha- I have something. If you enjoy superhero comics, write us. We never talk about them. Write us and tell, like, give us an argument. For your favorite superhero. <laughs> you uh, Or just tell us when you like That's it. That's my challenge. Have no, they have to convince us why they like it. <laughs> I don't know. I don't want to read someone's 10 paragraph essay on Superman. Yo. 
Um, so again, that challenge, I'll read it. That challenge is okay. drawing a dialogue at gmail.com. Do it. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, I'm s- still on Twitter for the time being at Remus Maurice, R E M U S M A U R I C E. That is also my Mastodon handle if you want to join kathy and being on mastodon and also me i come on like once every couple of weeks and drop a link (laughs) basically um but i will use it more if more people (laughs) go on there (laughs) so (laughs) um Uh, we also oh you can follow us well we still have a twitter but i have a twitter we have we're just not gonna we actually have had a lot of new followers on the instagram i super appreciate oh good i'm also shocked by how many people actually listen to our episode all the way to the end Wow! Thank you so much. Yeah, I, 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 I don't know. <laughs> Huge we news. had like fifty followers. I was like, really? That's huh? Sick as heck. Thank you for listening. Um, okay, so we're on Instagram at drawing we're a at dialogue. Instagram on drawing a dialogue. I'll probably keep the Twitter going. Um, just uh, okay. Unless I don't know. Unless Elon takes it away, I guess. Um, <laughs> which you <laughs> never know. Um, and you can follow me at Kathy G. John on Instagram. I'm also cat- at Kathy G. John on Mastodon. I know there's like, it's like Mastodon at dot Mastodon dot social. Um, but you can find everything on my bio site, bio dot site slash Kathy G. John. I'm literally Kathy G. John everywhere. Gotcha. I try to keep it, uh, it my, the branding consistent. Um, but if you just go to my, if you go to my website, kathygjohn.net i have i'll have links to everything and just follow me wherever you want me i got i got tumblr i'm just like i'm on all on all of them because i'm so over twitter i'm over it (laughs) i have an instagram also that's remus mj i tried to be consistent but um a lot of places had taken the one i use on twitter so i i'm on instagram at remus mj um and i'm working on getting stuff going on i'm remaking my website and i'll put links up and stuff oh i did want to shout out super quickly if if i can um I, <laughs> this is a little silly but i have a shirt oh, yeah. for sale right how now long, wait through how raw long paw it, how long is it available till february pre-orders run through february 22nd. okay so they'll still be able to get it by the time this comes out there'll be plenty of time to get it um it's a pre so the way raw paw works is they they, they do this program called Dropship where you you submit a design and they take pre-orders and then at the end of the pre-order period rawpaw which is a austin-based uh artist-owned print shop will print the shirts and mail them out and everything and you make profit off of it and they're this shirt is part of uh they do this little thing called huey's quest where they basically have a little prompt and they invite people to make shirts based on the prompt and then um it is a little bit of a competition because the person that sells the most shirts gets a PS5 or a cash equivalent. Um, so I'm not expecting to win. That would be foolhardy of me. But if you want to go buy my nice shirts. And they're all, what Remus hasn't mentioned is that there's probably 17 pages of shirts and they're all dragon themed. So if you or someone yeah, it's you a dragon love shirt. loves dragons and your house has burned down and you need a lot of new t-shirts there's so many dragon shirts you can... like ungodly amount of dragon shirts a lot of them are yeah, fantastic really cool. i think mine is cool i think it's um 
Uh, shoot, why do I always forget the name of the saint in question? Uh, George. Uh, George, thank you. It's Saint George slaying the dragon. It's a riff on Saint George slaying the dragon, and it says death to capitalism on it. So I yeah. think it's cool. I um, have a print called uh, The Revenge on St. George's, and it's the dragon eating St. Nice. George. Um, this isn't a t-shirt. This is a print. So you could get the print and the t-shirt and sort of do both yeah. sides. Um. The only one I think of is that the horse... I, I want to do a horse one now. That's just like the horse, the horse running is, away from... The horse is fun. St. George and the dragon. Yeah. He's like, fuck you guys. I'm going home. Um, I think that's <laughs> a South Park quote. Cool. Um, <laughs> it basically is. Yeah, <laughs> can't believe Kathy G. Johnson noted Cartman. Yeah, Riker. I've seen a single episode. <laughs> totally. What are you reading, Rima? Um, so I actually, uh, uh, I'm trying to remember exactly when this occurred. I think in the beginning of the month, but um, I so. When I was growing up, I didn't read a lot of, like, manga because I had, I had, like, my art teachers were like, manga is bad. So I was like, yeah, manga is bad. And even though I was actively reading manga, I deliberately never read anything that was, like, popular. Um, all this to say that my friend showed me the bad Netflix Death Note movie, which is really fun, first of all. Do recommend it I as a good I do not time. recommend it. Not as a good it. movie. Don't listen to me. <laughs> to be clear. I'm not recommending it as a good movie. I am recommending it as a good time. Those are different experiences. <laughs> but afterwards, I was like, okay, well, now I have to read the manga. So I read the entire Death Note manga in like a weekend. Um, and all the like side stories. And had a lot of fun with it. Because I didn't realize, I think, like, so much of it is about, like, these increasingly, like, specific rules mm -hmm. for the Death Note and how it works. And I, again, I love bureaucracy in stories, so I just am really into that. Yeah, I mean, the rules, that's, like, what, like... I feel like that's like classic sci-fi is rules and then how to fall. Like, that's like mm -hmm. Isaac Asimov's robot the laws of robot yeah it's specific and nerd it's like yelling what they are called to me but yeah i, I, re I read that i read that a lot but yeah ago. it's good it's fun it's really fun i'm like catching up on like lyle and i just watched all of uh dot hack sign because i'd never seen that i'm like catching up on all these like old series that i should have read when i was a teenager um but what are you reading? Um, I am just finishing up Siren Queen by Nivo. I don't know. I probably mentioned her other book last year. It was one of my favorite books that I read in 2022. Um, mm -hmm. The Chosen and the Beautiful, which is like an Asian American retelling of um, that F. Scott Fitzgerald book. What's the book he wrote? The, the Great Gatsby. Um, so Nevo wrote The Chosen and the Beautiful, which is a retelling, an Asian American retelling of The Great Gatsby. And this is titled Siren Queen uh, by Nevo. Um, N G H I V O um, is her name. And uh, The Siren Queen is about sort of uh, cinema, like early Hollywood cinema uh, with a Asian American actress at the uh, center of the story and what i like about them is that they are very queer and sexy mm -hmm. they're super sexy books <laughs> <laughs> and also like um very like asian american sort of talking about 
um, sort of um, decadent. Both of them are like very similar books, which is great because I really love Chosen and the Beautiful. Um, sort of decadent, uh, decadent America and sort of the clashing of that with uh, immigrants and uh, second generation immigrants. Um, and it's really sexy and fun, which is what I want to read about. <laughs> um, well, you have to say thank you to me because it was my episode. Oh, well, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. And thank you for listening to Drawing a Dialogue. Uh, my name is Kathy G. Johnson. And I'm Rayleigh Jackson. Solidarity for everyone.